Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Overeaters Anonymous Special Focus Recovery from Relapse Meeting. Today is Tuesday, the 1st of March, 2022, and we are delighted to have our speaker, Lynn Kay, with us. Lynn was born in the USA, sounds like a song, and uh, in Connecticut, and is currently residing in New Jersey. Lynn came to OA in 1987 and never stopped attending meetings. Lynn's current abstinence is 14 years. So it's over to Lynn now to share her experience, strength, and hope. Take it away, Lynn. Okay, all right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Lynn, as was said, I'm um, grateful to be here. And I hope and pray that what I say uh, will um, be of help um, or use to you. And um, I'll start uh, with um, my, a little bit of my background. And um, I had a thing for sugar for as long as I can remember. Um, I found out that my uh, mother made a homemade uh, formula for me that was made out of corn syrup and sweetened evaporated milk. I don't think that's the reason why I'm a compulsive eater, but nonetheless, I just always remember I wanted sugar as raw as possible. And um, I, um, I knew that I had a problem because my father really didn't approve of uh, being even slightly, you know, chunky. And, um, you know, once I got into school, I was very bullied in school about my weight. We also didn't have very much money and I didn't really have much for clothes. So um, between those two, I was bullied all the way through school um, until near the end when I got into the drug crowd, they seemed to like me well enough. And um, that made life very, very difficult. And also grew up very isolated, uh, lived on a road. We didn't have a house number. We didn't need it because there wasn't anyone around. Um, so um, I don't think we got a house number until I was in middle school. So um, yeah, it was just very isolated. My father's mentally ill, and that isolated us very further. He didn't like people, and didn't want people around. And so it was just a very isolated way of living. And for many years, I believed that those um, were the reasons why I ate. And I'd say it slowed my progress down tremendously because I kept on focusing as these things being the reason why I had the disease. And it took me many years in the room to know that that, that was not true. 
I just had a rough start. I just had a rough start. I was a runaway when I was 17, and um, which was a smart move on my part, probably. And um, but still, that's not the reason why I was a compulsive or am. I am a compulsive eater. Gratefully living in recovery today. And so my first diet began somewhere around 10, 11, 12. My sister was put on a diet. She was a little heavy too. My father and my sister. That was when the dieting began. And um, it, it persisted, escalated. Um, and like I said, I added in other substances later on, but I assure you, food was always my mainstay. Of course, the diets never really worked. It's impossible. And um, came into the rooms. Of course, I was in an alcoholic marriage and um, I went to get help from my alcoholic husband. And um, of course, they latched on to me. <laughs> what I worried about him? <laughs> I'm like, what? Not me, <laughs> you know. So, um, and I had a baby by then, and um, became very divorced very early on in the marriage. The baby was only 18, 18 months old, um, and but through that process, I I found um recovery i was told in one counseling group i was in that they didn't think that i had that problem but of course it didn't take me long to know that they were very very wrong <laughs> and uh, from that time on i attended meetings um even in times of trouble i uh, would always I can remember being at meetings like I'm here and I brought my bad attitude with me, but I'm here. And um, and that tends to be my only like real claim to fame is that I never stopped attending meetings. And I came into the rooms. Um, I was a wild child, to say the least. Um, but some lesson woman sponsored me, um, for which I'm forever grateful. And um, I came in, uh, I lived out in Long Island at that time, and um, we had all different factions of OA out there. And although I first went to an Easy Does It meeting, I eventually moved on to a How meeting in my initial accidents that lasted about six years was through how. And although I don't do how today, which is a very structured way of working the program, I, um, <clears throat> I needed that structure. I was very far out there. And, you know, I, I needed to know that I had to do this today, do this today, this today. I, I don't like to run my program today on a checkoff list, but at that time, I needed to do that. And it worked. And I think that although I remember having spiritual times in my younger years, um, 
I was certainly, that was certainly blanked out and um, at that time. And, but I was awakened somewhat at that time. So I did do the 12 steps. I did have a very regimented food program. I called into my sponsor every day. I talked to my sponsor every day and I needed that and it worked. And I sponsored others that way. And, but then it didn't work. And after six years, I had a slip. And I don't remember how long this one lasted, but it wasn't a day. And then eventually I got back into how and and again I found I found eight years of abstinence. And you know, same way, you know, following the, you know, the food plan. And I did have peace from the food very often. Um, for long periods of time, I was able to stay with that. I had enough food. I came into a normal body weight both times, stayed there. Um, I didn't gain a lot of weight in that first relapse, although I gained, but not tons. Um, and then after eight years, again, of living that way, and I had a spirituality, obviously. Again, I had been taken through steps. Obviously, that worked to achieve such a long time, eight years it lasted. But then again, I slipped. And somehow it seemed I had gotten into some sugar-free products, and um, which were right next to non-sugar-free products. And that became a super highway back to my disease. It wasn't like a little volume overeating or whatever. Getting back into sugar products was a super highway into my addiction, of which I could not get out. And this relapse lasted for six years. For six years, I'm going to meetings. I can only imagine how many sponsors I went through. I'll just say half a dozen because I can't even remember how many sponsors I went through. I can only imagine that it was more. I meet some people sometimes and they say, oh yeah, I remember you, I sponsored you. I don't even remember them. <laughs> yeah, so many sponsors I went through. And <clears throat> here I would say that on page 35 in the big book, it says, so we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into eating or drinking, for obviously this is the crux of the problem. I'm an excellent dieter. I could, uh, I could uh, fast. Love those drink diets. Love those, you know, you eat anything, so there wasn't a problem. And, um, what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? And also, um, why does he? Of what was he thinking? Our minds are warped. And I 
obviously was still missing a piece of step one, hence the six years of getting dragged through the volume, the sugar, the flour products, cold cereals, all this kind of stuff that I binged on. Um, and I will say right before I came into the program in 87, I was trying to learn how to purge because I was eating so much. I had so much stomach pain I needed to get out of the pain. So um, unfortunately for me, I couldn't get the hang of it <clears throat> and came into the room. So, and I mean, I always thought I had a pretty good program, obviously not when I'm in this six years. And I tried, I would get back on, I would get a little bit abstinence, obviously I didn't make it, and this would go on repeatedly. And one thing I can think of now is that I was looking to get back. I have to get it back. And I will say that one thing I've learned is I definitely don't want to go back. If back where I was got me into the six-year relapse, I don't want to go back. Whatever I had, that was great, great that it worked for me then, but I needed to go forward into something else. And I really didn't know what it was. I didn't want to go back into the how. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to live that way anymore. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why I went on for so long. It was, you know, I was trying to figure this out. And as I read the big book more, I did decide that getting into big book recovery was the best thing for me. I, I heard more and more about these groups. And I remember it's in more than one place in the big book, but on page 25, <clears throat> it says, rocketed into a fourth dimension of which I hadn't even dreamed. And I'm like, <laughs> I've been in the rooms a long time. I have never been rocketed anywhere. I mean, I was living a better life. I was sober. I, you know, I had definitely come out of the darkness that I was in in the late 80s, but I never rocketed anywhere. And I realized that this was the problem for me that although I had found a brand of spirituality, <clears throat> I wasn't in it. And I finally realized that um, um, it was like, a, like a, a car. My higher power was like a car. You know the car that you always dreamed of? You knew all the options. You knew all the special features that you wanted, all the comforts, everything that you wanted. You know how they used to say, you know, do a want ad for your higher power? Well, that was like that. And I got this car and I parked it in the driveway. I could tell you all about it. I could tell you all the features. I could tell you all the wonders of it. But when I walked out of the house in the morning, I said, I'll walk. I didn't get in that car. I didn't use it. I didn't use the special features. Someone would say to me, why don't you use the car? Oh, no. Oh, well. But it's raining. Life is difficult. Why don't you get in the car? Oh, no, no. Oh, well. I tell you all about the car. It's beautiful. Keep it polished. Keep it clean. Talk to it. Then use it. I did not use my higher power. And then I also realized that 
I started to get drips and drabs of recovery that although I had been through the steps, I never became permanently entrenched in 10 and 11. I did a lot of 12, did a lot of service, <clears throat> meetings, all different levels, but I, I was, didn't know, I could, didn't know, didn't understand, didn't use 10 and 11. And of course, on that same page <clears throat> where it talks about the crux of the problem, it's no error that in the same page, the answer is there. He failed to enlarge his spiritual life, but I really understand what that meant. Like I would, here I am, I'm asking it for eight years, I'm crying. It's like, <clears throat> I don't understand. Like for how many years can I continue to do this? Nothing was expanding for me. It was the same old thing all the time. Where was the expansion they were talking about? And, you know, finally in something happened in <clears throat> step 11. And it talks on page 86, 87. It, it's talking about uh, step 10, I'll come into that. But in any case, I started to do more spiritual studies and um, <clears throat> it says here, what used to be the hunch, uh, nevertheless, we find that our thinking will as time passes be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely on it. And the person that I was studying with commented that we rely on divine influence, not sponsors, not meetings, not steps. I'm not always aware of what God is, but I'm usually aware of what God is. And so I learned that whatever this spiritual thing that was that I was going to get into, I needed, it needed to be stronger and I had to learn to rely on it. And also on that page farther down, something that helped me very much, it said there are many helpful books also. And I had never noticed that sentence before. I was taught, well, you gotta just use the big book. You gotta use the 12 and 12. That's it, that was the books. <clears throat> but here he says, if you belong to religious denominations, contact them. Other suggestions could come from other kinds of spiritual advisors that you know of. And I had spent years in spiritual uh, guidance, uh, a type of counseling. I had spent years in that. I had a lot of problems to overcome, I assure you. And that helped, but still I wasn't there. And as I got into these many helpful other kinds of books that just focus on spirituality, I was able to find people that I connected with and took me to that level where it is what I rely on. I do use a guide box, had one for many, many years, highly recommended. Always got to have a lid on it. Nice tight lid, the tighter the better. <laughs> Once I put something in there, it doesn't come out ever. I can hardly keep the lid on my original God box because the lid's popping up because there's so many little pieces of paper in there. All of those situations, hundreds of them in that box, all resolved, all taken care of. 
And now when I put something in there, I have to put it like on a tiny piece of paper and kind of slide it down the side. So I refuse to take anything out of the box. Everything there has been good, is good. And I am also, we did, someone did a reading in one of the daily readers and it talked about uh, meditation that um, draws you back in. I never felt drawn into any kind of meditation. It was a check off on a list. Did you meditate today? Did you pray today? Did you make three phone calls? And I began to explore other kinds of meditation where I was looking forward to getting back into that uh, meditation the next time that, um, you know, whether it was morning and night, whatever. <clears throat> Lynn, Lynn, you have you, 10 Leslie. more minutes. Okay, thanks. So I would say that in step 11, where I begin to review, and you know, it took a while. I do do, I am on one of those trains, the step 10, 11 train, to, because I never got into a daily practice of step 11. And by sharing it with someone, and even if I didn't, I could see that I had a main problem. I was very busy looking at what everyone else was doing, criticizing what other people were doing, putting energy into what other people were doing. And I learned that all of that was judgment and ultimately self-righteousness. So if there's billions of people in the world, I felt that my point of view, this little teeny, eeny weeny point of view was the right point of view. And everyone, that's how they should all line up. So there was grandiosity. There was um, this idea that somehow my point of view, and what was it based in? Of course, it was based in fear. And as I realized these things, I began to let go. I began to be able to say to the inventory process, just leave these people alone. When they're just driving their car. They're just in the grocery store. You know, I just, and that I had to get it into my head that I did not understand the reasons why people did what they did and what they're thinking and where they're headed. For me, what their spirit is about, I do not know. So I don't have to worry myself about it. And if I'm thinking that everyone is you know, doing something that's affected me, that places me in the center of the universe, which of course is where every addict in my opinion wants to be, where I as an addict wanted to be. And it's just not true. And, um, and this has, these are the things that have helped me the, the most finding, um, and I do live in another dimension. I do have another dimension to my life. I feel that I live here on this earth, but I also have one foot in the spiritual world, that there is an enormous amount of help for me there and guidance and love. And I have so much less to worry about here because I realize that I have this connection there into what I call the source, my creator the source of the universe, the source of power, love, peace, where 
I am loved by love and um, I've just gotten a lot quieter. I'm a lot more peaceful. It's been a long road, as you can hear. It's been a long road, but um, it has so certainly been worth it. And that the steps four through nine get us ready for 10, 11, and 12. The last thing I'll say is about step 10. To me, step 10, some people say, and I'm sure I did. I pray in the morning, I pray at night, but I don't understand what's going on in the middle. I'm not connected in the middle. That's step 10. You know, I'm at my job. Here comes the person walking towards my desk that always gives me a headache. And I'm like, right now, I need help right now. Before that person gets here, right now, I need help. Because I don't want to get into anything with this person. I want to leave that girl alone. I just want to do it. And I need it now. I'm five minutes now. And that constant bringing in that higher power right here, right now, helping me right now. And that goes on all day long. Step 11 is my cleanup at the end of the day. Yeah, I didn't want to do step 11 at the end of the day. I thought, oh, all the things that will be on my head, I'll never be able to sleep, all these thoughts. Well, as I cleaned up my life, there isn't a lot of garbage at the end of the day. There's just not. It's cleaner all the time. And I am able to be a better person. I'm quieter. I'm more peaceful. I'm happier. Um, and I'm very grateful for, for this way that um, the program has brought me to live today. I want other people to be happy. Let them go. I don't worry about other people. How do I know what they're about, where they're from? One last thing I'll say about my creator. My creator is so creative that you probably have all heard that, that everything, every single snowflake that falls is unique, right? You think about that? If our creator is that creative, that every single snowflake is unique, then I believe that every single person is truly unique. There is not another me. There is not another you. My creator has no need to make duplicates. That person that I'm talking to that maybe I don't know that well, they are unique. Their experience is their experience and their perceptions as are mine. And all I need to do is leave them alone and my day will be peaceful. Just let them go. And um, I think I'm done. Um, thank you for letting me share. I posted my number. I'm available for questions. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Lynn. Thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. That was beautiful.